Sound Pages is a literary series featuring resident artists in the Jack Straw Writers Program. My mother always commanded more pity from me than anger. I knew how she worked, see, and I wasn't going to pass judgment. This program features the work of 2013 writer Judith Skillman. Curator Stephanie Kalis spoke with her in an interview. Well, tell me about this work that you are working on now as part of the Jack Straw program. I loved this. It was very intriguing in your, your statement that I have waited a long time to do this work, and I am ready. Talk about that a little bit. Yes, about 20 years ago is when I was seized with the idea and the passion to write a novel. It was based on um, a story or kind of a joke that my older daughter told, and it ends up with her basically reading the person's mind. So she read my mind, and that started me off thinking about mind reading, remembering when my father was working on a mind reading techno device in his lab at NASA, and quite seriously so. And I was his confidant in this experiment of making a mind reading machine. So that was the premise for the novel. So what you're working on really is, it's got its own category. I think it's a bit experimental. Yeah. I don't want to think of it as a melange or a revision, but more as the best of both worlds, if, if it could be that, where it's not short stories and it's not a novel, it's in between. And that was very exciting to me because that feels more like poetry to be able to pursue these characters and these sequences and see where they lead and have it be having the same feeling, the generative feeling of, of making the new work the way it feels with a poem. Now we'll hear a selection from Judith's live reading. I'm going to read the first short story in the anthology. It is called Morning Twilight, and the protagonist is Eva, and this is written from her point of view. In this case, my mother was admirable not only for the way she put up with her eccentric husband, that would be my father, but for the way she handled her own problems. I always knew when she was about to get manic. The broom would come out, then the vacuum cleaner, Windex and Murphy's oil, and even if it was the middle of the night, the house would begin to sparkle. This was in contrast to the way our, house, our home looked most of the time. It was cluttered, but that's not the worst part. See, Dad was a physicist, and everyone knows you can't move a physicist's stacks of paper. My father got quite techy in the sense of storing information on his computer. He had one, and not only knew how to use it, but how to have it read observations from the observatory it was hooked up to some states away. Nonetheless, there were piles of paper. My mother always commanded more pity from me than anger. I knew how she worked, see, and I wasn't going to pass judgment. She never made me do anything. Some kids I went to school with griped all the time about their after-school chores but I had nothing to complain about. I could do whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted to. There were no curfews, no rules. In fact, my mother treated me as a peer. I was her colleague, so to speak, and I sensed that this camaraderie was important to her. 
All I had to do if a question of breaking a rule at school came up, or in this case, shoplifting, was offer an explanation. It was a scholarly exercise. If I could support my explanation, then I was off the hook. In the event I could not have supported the reason for the infraction, I might have come to some bad trouble, but that never happened. See, I had an instinct for this kind of thing. It simply wasn't a problem to manufacture exquisite rationales. This pleased my mother, and we became closer as I grew older, rather than the other way around, as I saw that happening to one girlfriend after another. Not that I had a lot of girlfriends, but I had some. The day after I was picked up at Montgomery's for shoplifting, and Jenny said her mom was going to kill her, and Maria said she was going to be grounded for a month, or possibly until the end of the school year, which was some ways away, well, all my mom did was ask me as we were driving home from a dentist appointment, Eva, why did you shoplift? Don't you know that when you take something from a store, it hurts the store? They have to replace it. I mean, makeup doesn't grow by itself. It has to be ordered and shelves restocked. Well, Mom, I said, stealing myself with instructions to self-think, a motto I had made up for just these kinds of occasion. Jenny said it as a dare. She dared me to take something from the store, and she didn't tell me what. It was kind of a game to her this idea that we were each to take something and then walk out without paying for it. Oh, my mother was very interested. She pursed her lips as she continued driving along the freeway, keeping her pace in the slow lane, turning her head sidewise to say out loud to the driver behind her, stop tailgating, and then looking briefly at me to ask, this was a game then? Yes. But it wasn't my idea of a game, I said, reminding myself again of my own motto, think. It was something Jenny and Maria were invested in, and I didn't want to let them down. Peer pressure, my mother muttered under her breath, as she sometimes did, saying things to herself. What? Oh, yes, peer pressure, my mother said, looking at me for the slightest instant before retraining her eyes on the road and resetting her posture so her tummy didn't bulge. I knew she did this to keep herself looking younger, and I found it a bit odd that she thought it worked. <laughs> peer pressure is, at your age, a well-known phenomenon. Young people, people in their teens, and I don't mean to put you down by saying that, I know you don't, Mom, I said, and sat back a bit, knowing now that I'd pulled it off because she had already almost apologized to me for something. I had her on the defense. Young people, she continued, have a tremendous desire to please the group, to fit in, not to be different than. Do you understand? Of course, I always feel that way when I'm around Jenny and Maria. I said, relaxing into an almost slump. This interaction had tired me, and I felt taxed from getting up so early for school. <laughs> well, that's normal. You want to fit in with them. They are your peer group. Do you know what peer means? <laughs> no, I lied. Well, it means those who are the same age as you and occupy the same community. 
I don't exactly mean occupy in the way you occupy a chair. I think I know what you mean, I said, not wanting her to overstrain herself with the explanation. <laughs> so all you need to do from now on when you're around these girls, what are their names? Mother looked briefly in the rearview mirror to check her lipstick as she asked this question. We'd gotten off the freeway and were on a side street heading home. Jenny and Maria, I said, thinking it would be okay not to mention last names. Yes, when you're out after school with Jenny and Maria, you need to focus on yourself. How are you feeling? What are you doing? You need to put some space between your desire to fit in with these young people and your need to obey rules that are put in place for the benefit of society. The rule, don't shoplift, is there for a reason. You might think a store is just a place, but because it's not a person, but it does cost the store money to restock the shelves. I don't think my mother realized she'd come full circle to her original reprimand of my actions, but I certainly did. Once the argument had run its course, in this case, I could hardly call it an argument because no voices were raised. Once it started out at A, skipped around to G or J, and went back to A without ever getting to Z, the subject would be dropped. My father would never know about it. No one would ever know about it, except, of course, Montgomery's, where my name was on file. And there, at that particular store tucked into a mall, I knew I would never shoplift again. We pulled into the driveway, and my mother got out to take the groceries in. This was something she never needed help with. She seemed almost to enjoy lugging those heavy paper bags into the house. Nah, it's nothing. Go start your homework, she'd always say when I offered to help her. This time, I didn't even offer to help. I had phone calls to make. My friends were going to be, once again, speechless with envy at the way my mom had taken such bad news. I had to find out what trials they were undergoing. Would Maria be able to go to the next high school dance? I was the luckiest girl in town. I was the luckiest girl I knew. I was so lucky I couldn't imagine how to thank God for my good fortune. I had no idea there would be a price to pay for these gifts I lapped up like a cat, the cream on my upper lip as thick as the nair I used to annihilate the mustache that kept on growing. Sound Pages is a Jack Straw production. The 2013 curator of this program is Stephanie Kalis. This episode of Sound Pages was produced by Jenny Cecil Moore. Recording engineers are C.J. Lazenby, Tom Stiles, Mo Preventure, and Steve DeTori. Narrator is Christine Brown, and executive director of Jack Straw Productions is Joan Rabinowitz. Theme music by the Seattle Jazz Composers Ensemble, produced through the Jack Straw Artist Support Program. The Jack Straw Writers Program is made possible with support from the City of Seattle Office of Arts and Culture, Four Culture King County Lodging Tax Fund, the Washington State Arts Commission, the National Endowment for the Arts, the Paul G. Allen Family Foundation, Arts Fund, and individual contributors. All of the writers heard in this series are published in the Jack Straw Writers Anthology, available for purchase and featured online at jackstraw.org. Thank you for listening. <laughs>